And Christ is that stone, whether he is the cornerstone, the foundation, how we describe him, or the keystone as in such an arch. He is what we have built our life upon. He is that firm foundation that we are partakers, that we have fellowship in the gospel from the day that we first accepted Christ as our Savior until this day, that that fellowship is built upon the Lord. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to begin our study officially now in Philippians. The Epistle of Philippians, we, for the last two weeks, have been in, largely in the book of Acts, chapter 16, learning about Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke by the time that that second missionary journey got together. They ended up in Philippi, and they ministered the gospel there. We learned about Lydia and really reminded ourselves of how that salvation took place and how Paul, on that first Sabbath day, that Saturday, made his way to the river where the women were worshiping, and it tells us that there was no synagogue in the city of Philippi, that there was no men present, so just the ladies, the spiritual condition itself of the city had only a few women, it seems like, that were there worshiping. When Paul and Silas and his team showed up there and presented the gospel, it was Lydia who was the first to respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Her and her household was saved that day, and And they got right into involvement with the ministry. And Lydia told Paul and Silas, if you found me faithful to the Lord, please. And it says that she constrained us, that she just kept saying, please come and let us take care of you. Stay in my home and and let us provide for you in the ministry. And that was the initial ministry there in Philippi, but also in all of Macedonia. The first person in the European continent to be saved was Lydia and her household there. And we learned about last week about the slave girl who was used by her masters who owned her because she was possessed by a demon. She was able to tell fortunes, and and they earned a lot of money because of her abilities. And she also, which was very strange to read, but we find it, in Scripture, in the Gospels, that the demons know who God is, they know who Jesus is, and there's always this proclamation. And she was saying of Paul and Silas that these men have come here to declare the works of God. 
And she was being an advertisement for the gospel there, but it eventually annoyed Paul to the point where he cast the demon out. And I, I shared some of my thoughts of why he delayed her healing. And I believe that he took it to the Lord in prayer, that there was uh, considering perhaps the demonic spirit that possessed her, that he took time, he prayed about it. But at the right time, God worked. And as a result of that, he and Silas were cast into prison. They were stripped. They were beaten. But as a result of that, God sent a great earthquake that ultimately led to the Philippian jailer and his family being saved. By the time we get to the epistle of Philippians, about 10 to 12 years have passed since that second missionary journey, but the first time that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke walked into the city of Philippi. That was around A.D. 49. But Paul's writing, which most believe from a prison cell in Rome, somewhere around A.D. 61 and 62. And, and time has transpired by its past, and yet there is still this great work and great concern for the church in Philippi. And addressed here with this letter, the letter came as a result of the church in Philippi sending gifts to Paul, and he's kind of responding to those gifts, but also teaching uh, not only a thank you letter, but a letter of instruction. And, and that's what we're going to begin to dive into, learn about here in our study in the book of Philippians. We are introduced to in the beginning in verse 1, and I'll read the first two verses for us, but it says that Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll just briefly mention uh, verse 2 because that is a repeated phrase in all of Paul's epistles, 13 epistles. He's always includes grace and peace in his all 13 epistles. Ten of those epistles read exactly like this verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only exception is in the pastoral epistles of Titus and First and Second Timothy, where Paul inserts the word mercy in between grace and peace. Now, it has been said that grace and peace are the Siamese twins of the New Testament, that they're always found together when Paul was writing, always found together in his epistles and his introductions. But also that you cannot know the peace of God apart from the grace of God in your life, that grace comes first and then peace. God's grace extended toward us to afford this peace that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord promised us that he would give us peace. But that peace comes to us by God's grace. But it's Paul and Timothy we see. It's not Paul and Silas who is part of this letter writing to the church in Philippi, but Paul and Timothy. And he calls themselves bondservants of Jesus Christ. That word bondservant, it's doulos in the Greek, but it means to be a slave, to belong to another that you don't have your individual rights, your individual freedoms. You belong to another. You serve and belong to another. And Paul and Timothy introducing themselves as 
bond servants, as servants of Jesus Christ. We serve and we belong to Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Timothy is just a, a fascinating person that we find in Scripture, and, and he came part of the team on the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas began that journey, but by the time they made it to Philippi, Timothy was part of that team, and as I said earlier, so was Luke. But Timothy had a Jewish mother and obviously a Jewish grandmother, and we know their names in Scripture, that they are Eunice and Lois, and that Paul refers to them when writing his letter to Timothy. He, he talks about their genuine faith that they had, their genuine faith and trust in the Lord. We also know that he had a, a father who was Greek. So from the Jewish perspective, he was half Jew, half Greek, a half breed. And it could be that he came to faith under the preaching of Paul himself because in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul calls him a beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And in 1 Timothy 1.2, he calls him a true son of faith. So whether Timothy actually came to faith under Paul's ministry, once he was brought into Paul's life, he became such a dear servant of Paul. Even in the second missionary journey, his servitude came so quickly, he came along and it tells us in book of Acts that he was well spoken of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. But as we read through the epistles and the book of Acts, we learn that Paul would send Timothy out on missions, separate missions from his journey that in Thessalonica, Paul had to get out of town because the town was in an uproar. And when he left and he ended up down in Athens, as you know, the story reads out there, he had left Silas and Timothy there in Thessalonica to continue to strengthen and encourage the church. And once they caught up and together again in Athens, Timothy was sent out on another mission by Paul. And so Paul got accustomed to using Timothy. He was dependent upon him in ministry. And now we find that not only here in Philippians, but also in the epistle to the Colossians and Philemon, that Timothy was there with Paul. While he's writing from prison, Timothy is there with Paul at this time. And he writes this letter to the saints. We notice, first of all, the saints in Jesus Christ. All the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi. Now, we live in a culture where the church has taught, especially the Catholic church, that to become a, a saint, you have to die first. And you have to have miracles. People pray to you after your death and miracles uh, be performed as a result of the miracles and with the passage of time, unless there's an exception. Usually it's 100 and 150 years of time before you can get dubbed a saint. But we don't find that in Scripture. We find that Paul, he calls them saints. I just got an email this week a few days ago from my buddy that I roomed with in Africa, and I noticed this morning his email address is St. Mike. He just puts it right in his email address, uh, St. Mike. We're not accustomed to calling ourselves that. I know I realize that, and, and we don't go around here at Calvary Chapel introducing each other as saints. Hi, St. John. Hi, St. Dave. We don't do that, but 
the word itself means to be set apart. You're sacred, you're holy, you're pure, and you're set apart for the services of God. You are all saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And we could say all saints who are in Christ Jesus. And we could say here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, and we can expand every believer outside of these church walls, but are still here in Lake Villa or Antioch or Round Lake. We're all saints in Christ Jesus. We have been set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he also writes to the bishops and the deacons who are there. The bishops, other Bible translations translating this word as overseers or pastors or elders. These were the church leaders there in Philippi. And the deacons, we know from Acts chapter 6, when they first introduced those who would serve tables, that it talks about someone who serves and cares for the needs of others. It means a server of tables. And that in Acts 6, the purpose of introducing the deacons there was that it would free the apostles, as it tells us in Acts 6, verse 4, that would give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word, that the apostles had found that they had gotten caught up in the actual serving of tables, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, except that they were doing so much of that, they were getting away from, and it was cutting into their time with the Lord in prayer and their ministering of the word of God. And so they introduced the deacons, and the deacons themselves uh, in Acts 6.3 where they said to choose seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit of wisdom, and to appoint them over this business. And so uh, they were just not seven guys, but they had a good reputation within the church. God had filled them with the Holy Spirit, of, and they had the wisdom of God in their lives. And it was evident as they served. And, and in these churches, there were bishops or overseers or pastors and elders, but there were also deacons. And, and we know in the book of Acts, there were also the title of deaconesses, that there were men and women who served, and, and by their serving, they freed the hands of their pastors to do the work of ministry that the Lord has called them to do. So the church here in these first two verses, we find Paul and Timothy describing themselves as servants of the Lord, simply as servants. At times, Paul would say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ in his introduction, but to the church at Philippi, he said, we are bond servants. We're, we're servants. And you guys are saints. And within that church, there are bishops and deacons, and we're writing to all of you that God's grace would be upon you. And, and we know that acronym that had been placed on those words of grace of God's riches at Christ's expense that the grace refers to God's love in action from which we can find true peace in God. And he says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I've already told you that the first visit was around AD 49 and until now would mean somewhere around AD 61, 62. So at least 10 to 12 years had passed since Paul had first met the people in Philippi and then a church being birthed from his ministry there. But he says, I, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. 
You know, when I read that, every remembrance of you, I thank God upon every remembrance, and I think about, well, Paul, you were stripped, you were beaten, and you were thrown into prison. I think that would be hard for us to forget and to be thankful for every remembrance. You know that, as we studied a few weeks ago, with Lydia and then last week with the Philippian jailer, that the things that happened to Paul and Silas because of their Roman citizenship and because what happened to them was not legal according to Roman law, that it is believed that it gave the church freedom to operate in Philippi because they had misused the law and judged Paul and Silas as heathens, as Jews, as uh, trying to change the laws of Rome there but yet they were Roman citizens, and it wasn't until after they were cast into prison that they even declared their citizenship. But it gave Paul something over the leaders, the magistrates that had him condemned and judged and beaten and put into prison. This gave the church freedom to operate in the church was a blessing to Paul throughout his ministry as he continued from that day forward. Not only providing while he was there in Philippi, but we read of them sending gifts and supporting the ministry and the work. And that will even be referenced here in this chapter this morning. So I think of this, and he says, I thank God upon every remembrance. And in my flesh, I think, yeah, but you were stripped and you were beaten and you were cast into prison. I don't know if I would have a thankful heart. And then I was thinking about that is what took place for that church to get birthed in Philippi. And I remember the words of Jesus in John 16, 21, where he tells us a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come upon her. But as soon as she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into this world. Now, for the guys here, John sixteen twenty one, we can say, yeah, I think I kind of get that because we don't truly get it because we've never given birth to a child. But for the guys who've had a wife that's been in labor, I remember Lily after Melissa was born telling me never again. <laughs> I remember those words that apparently we were only going to have one child. But it was also Lily who decided that it was time for another child, that she soon forgot the pain of that heavy labor that she had with Melissa. And I believe with Paul, the same is true. There was pain. There was a, his, he was stripped. He was beaten. He was imprisoned along with Silas. But a church was birthed. And because the church was birthed, he was able to say, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And I see that with Lily and our two children, John and Melissa. And I never really hear her bringing up the pain. I know some moms, and you see it drawn out maybe in TVs and movies, of reminding their children of the pain they went through. But it's really not that. It's the fact that life is in the world and that there's life in these children. And here in the church, that the church is there. It's standing some 10 to 12 years later as a testimony of God's great grace upon those people. 
And he says, I thank God in every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. That fellowship, he says in verse 5, the koinonia as we have in the Greek, having communion, having something in common, it means a partnership. That, you know, their fellowship wasn't based on their nationality or their social status or past religious experiences, but based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many years had passed since Paul and Silas had first brought the gospel to Philippi. But from that day to the day that Paul wrote this letter, their fellowship had remained unbroken. You know, it's a fellowship that cannot be broken. And because it's been built on a tried stone, on a precious cornerstone, on a sure foundation, according to Isaiah 28, 16, that foundation being that of Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we read in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple of our Lord, in whom you are also being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That building, the bridge that Kevin had on the picture for the introduction, I sent him another picture. He didn't like it, I guess, because he got rid of mine. (laughs) He caught the essence of the picture. I'm glad. There it is. Mine was just simply a stone wall. But that is still the stone, so he caught the essence of it. But the idea of that was that we are being built up together. And, you know, in Scripture, God is called a chief cornerstone. Jesus is. Sometimes he's called that capstone. This bridge, because I was a brick mason, I know this is true. But without this middle support here, we know that if you take that out, the whole thing would collapse. That all the pressure of that arch is put into what is called a keystone. And it holds the pressure of that bridge together that makes it capable of standing. And Christ is that stone, whether he is the cornerstone, the foundation, how we describe him, or the keystone as in such an arch. He is what we have built our life upon. He is that firm foundation that we are partakers, that we have fellowship in the gospel from the day that we first accepted Christ as our Savior until this day, that that fellowship is built upon the Lord. What was true for Paul in his day is also true for us, that we are also part of that. We're one of the stones in the great building of God that God is putting together, built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Father, we've read here in this passage of many of the things that we have already been considered as believers, Lord, that we are saints, that we are in fellowship, in koinonia, that we are partakers. And a lot of times, Lord, we don't feel that we're living up to these positions, these titles that you have given us. But he who has begun a good work in us He who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. 
We thank you for that today, a reminder of that to us today, that, Lord, the work that you have begun, you will complete. And we are that work, we are the stone that is part of the building of God that occupies the Spirit of God. And, Lord Jesus, you are that chief cornerstone that we build our life upon. May we have that confidence today. As Paul was able to write, being confident in this very thing, Lord, would you give us that confidence in the work that you're doing in us and through us. And Lord, that if we lack the confidence today, if we lack knowledge, if we lack discernment, if we lack sincerity, if we have been offensive, Lord, I pray that you would reverse all those things. Lord, that there would just be this, again, this washing from the inside out that you would purge us and make us whiter than snow, that we can live and move and walk as you have called us to as believers in the day and age that we live in today. It is my prayer for myself, for our people here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Pray that God would bless you, that he would keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.